Well, good morning. It is so great to see you. My name is Bobby. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and we're thrilled you're here today. If you're watching online, if you're one of those people that are at the beach, I echo what Pastor Zach said. We're not jealous, but we're praying maybe a little bitter, but uh, we, uh, we're, we're grateful you had a chance to travel. Thank you all for being here today. If you're new around here, uh, almost every week we have people that come for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time. We'd love to say hello to you via email this week. In fact, there's a QR code we'll put on the screen. But if you're in the room and there's a seat in front of you, there's actually a little QR code on the seat back in front of you that you can just point your device at and it'll bring up a landing page and tell you all the ways that you can connect. And we'd love for you just to let us know that you're here today or if you're watching online to do the same thing. We've got a gift that we'll drop in the mail for you this week, and I'll send you an email just as a way of saying hello and open up the dialogue if there's anything you want to ask about or any way that we can serve you. We'd be so pumped to be able to do that. Uh, look around you. It's so fun. We don't get to do this very often during the year, but we love it when we can get our, both of our English gatherings in one room together. Uh, we, we know routines are awesome, and 9.30 and 11 are great. But we think it's important for us to realize that it's not just a service, it's not just a church building, but the church is actually people. And if we're not careful, we don't get to see everybody around us. Now, sometimes we like to do this with our Spanish gathering as well, but between you guys inviting your friends and Espanol congregation inviting your friends, I don't know when we'll be able to get in one room together without going outside. So I th how cool is it to have that kind of problem? We think that's amazing to just keep loving our people and loving our community. Um, uh, in fact, let me give you a couple shout outs in the room. One is we have an incredible what we call the welcome home team. And so they greet all the way out in the parking lot at the doorways, guiding people in that are here for the first time. Uh, in the back, trying to figure out how to get everybody to a place and connected. Can we just show some love to our welcome home team and just say thank you for making that possible week in and week out. Um, the cheesy preacher line is all the way from the streets to the seats. I know that's cheesy, but they uh, welcome us really well. A second shout out I want to give is we got a ton of middle schoolers and high schoolers in the room today. If y'all don't mind, give us a little wave out. Usually at 11, they are in small groups, and uh, so it's fun to have y'all in the room. And I know that we've got large group going on for our elementary age and for preschoolers, but I saw that we've got some of our elementary and preschool friends that made it in the room. If that's y'all, if you don't mind, actually stand on your seat so we can see you. Give us a little wave out. Y'all give a, give a hand to, man, so fun. So fun. And then I know that we've got a lot of parents and educators in the room. If you're a parent or if you're an educator, if you don't mind, give us a little wave out as well. You got a month under your belt. Not quite a month under your belt, but we've been praying for you. We love it. Go ahead and give them, show them a little love. Um, what a great start to the fall. Uh, so again, if you're new around here, man, we're not a perfect church, but we actually absolutely love Jesus. And it's because of the love that Pastor Zach and the team sang about. It's a love that we didn't deserve. It's something that we didn't earn. The reason why it's called reckless in that song is because most people would say, well, you've got to be guarded before you show that kind of love. And God's like, no, here's how I love. When I love, I love the whole world. And when I give, I give my only son. And so that's the kind of love that we're, we're, we're about here. We're not perfect. We're all in process. We're all in journey. So thank you for being here. I want to tell you about a couple of quick things. Uh, one is every month we pick a scripture verse that we're trying just to download into our heads, into our hearts. And so uh, if you weren't here last week or if you didn't get to grab one of these packets, these are called Dwell. It's a ministry that we partner with. Every month has a different verse that, that we're trying 
trying to just get under our belts. This month is John 8, 32, which is so familiar. It says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So every packet has a couple of ways to memorize that. There's a card that you can hold on to and memorize that. There's a key fob that you can put on your keychain. There's even a temporary tattoo that you can put on. And it's just a cool way just to get scripture inside your heart. And so if you don't have one of these yet, they're out in the lobby. I know many of you grabbed them last week, but we've got a handful left. And so I, I hope you'll grab those as well. Next week, we'll be back on our normal schedule at 9.30 and 11. And so if you're a middle school or a high schooler, we'd love for you to be with us at 9.30 and worship and then go to small groups at 11. Uh, if you're an adult that's plugged in a small group, we'd love for you to plug into a small group one hour, attend worship another hour, or serve uh, uh, one hour and worship another hour. There's so many ways to grow in our faith, and they're so important. I just want to say a quick thank you. Every time we gather, we have a time of generosity, a time of giving. And as Pastor Chuck mentioned over the last couple of weeks, you guys are just incredible. There's so many practical things that happen when you give. There's things like $10,000 a month light bills, electricity, just to keep this campus operating. There's uh, things like curriculum. And I don't know about you guys, it'd be a fascinating stat to even know how many veggie straws we go through on a normal Sunday throughout the year with your kiddos. Uh, so there's a lot of practical things that happen. Then there's things that God puts in our lap, like Uvalde, Texas, where we're like, man, this was not part of our plan. But one of our philosophies and one of our small groups is going through the study called Experiencing God. And one of the principles in Experiencing God that I think uh, Debbie's leading and, and maybe Tiffany Gunder's leading is this principle that says God's already at work. So our job isn't to create the work. Our job is to see where he's at work and join him. And so one of the litmus tests for us as a church, as pastors, is what are our people responding to? And so Pastor Chuck put in front of us the opportunity that God placed in our lap to minister all the way over in Uvalde, Texas, in a, in a community that's desperately in need of love and hope. And you guys have given almost $100,000 to a community that uh, is in desperate, desperate need. And so, so I, I, I mean, who does that? Little old Sugar Hill, Georgia, uh, being able to impact the, the nation and the world. And so I just want to say thank you. If you've already given, thank you for doing that. We've got many people that give online, bill pay, um, non-asset giving as well. Uh, but if you haven't given yet and you do want to be part of the ministry and the mission of the church, there's the QR code on the screen or on the back of your seats. And there's also boxes at the doors. And it's just a simple way to know that when you give, God uses it to make and so thanks again for being here. I'd love to pray for us and just pray over our time of generosity. I'll pray out loud, but I'd invite you in your head and your heart to pray as well that Jesus would use the influence and the, the impact that he's doing here at Sugar Hill just to go further than we could imagine and uh, to do more work than we could ever dream of. Heavenly Father, thank you for a wonderful morning already and an opportunity for us to worship with friends. Lord, we pray that as we give, financially that you'd cause it to go further than we could imagine. Thank you that uh, there's such a generous spirit here in Sugar Hill, people that give above and beyond to help not only ministry take place here in the building, but literally around the world. Lord, help us to have your heart. Help us to have hearts that are, um, that are soft enough that they break when we see brokenness in our world. Help us to not grow callous to that. And Father, I pray today as we worship and study together that you would help us to take a next step in becoming more like you. We pray as you taught us to pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in Sugar Hill as it is in heaven. We give this time to you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said...
Amen. Thank you for being here. Check out the screens. My friend Rachel is going to tell us a little bit about what's coming up over the next few weeks here at Sugar Hill Church. Good morning, Sugar Hill Church, and welcome home. My name is Rachel, and I just wanted to say thanks for spending part of your morning with us. Around here, we desire to help you know God and discover your purpose. Over the next few minutes, I'm going to tell you about a couple of things that can help you do those two things. So check this out. Christian Library International is one of our local missions partners, and we're excited to be focusing on how we can donate to this ministry over the next few weeks. CLI's mission is to be able to provide Bibles and Christian books to men and women in prisons. You can donate new or gently used items each Sunday of September right here in the lobby. Ladies, join us for Flourish on Thursday, September 22nd at 6.30 p.m. for an evening of fun, fellowship, food, and inspirational teaching. We're excited to have Krista Williams from Proverbs 31 Ministries speaking with us that evening. Krista has been a Bible study teacher in her community for 40 years, and we can't wait to have her with us. Head to sugargirlchurch women to purchase your tickets today. Do you want to get involved in a local school but aren't sure how? Do you want to invest in a child's life? Do you have the skills to be able to mentor the next generation? Do you have 30 minutes to spare each week? If so, Half Hour Hero is just for you. Once a week, each week during the school year, you'll form a relationship with and become an encouragement to a student. If you'd like more information, email ann at sugarhillchurch.com. We have a lot going on around here, so don't forget you can find any of these details and more by heading to the SHC app and clicking on the latest. You can also follow us on social media to stay up to date on everything we have going on around here. Thanks again for being with us today. As always, you picked a great day to be here and welcome home. Well, we're so grateful you're here. If you want to get more information about any of that, you can click, you can uh, put your device on that QR code or you can go to our Sugar Hill Church app and click on the latest and get more details around that. We're so grateful for Rachel and uh, for all the things that God's doing around here. One other shout out I want to give is my brother and my mom are sitting in the back today. And so I'm going to try to be on my best behavior today. So uh, all the way from Olive Branch, Mississippi, it's been fun to have the fam in town this weekend. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but we've been watching the weather all weekend. If y'all had your apps out and you're like, man, it's going to be a torrential downpour all weekend. And then the sun was out all day yesterday. So uh so uh, we've been praying against the weather. But thanks for being here today. And uh, again, if we haven't met, my name is Bobby, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And our prayer over the last month really has been, what is, what is the thing that we feel like God has for our people in this season, this time, this year? Right? What is the message we feel like God's really been resonating in our hearts as a pastoral team, but also in the, peop- in a, the lives of our people? And just say, what is that? And so last month, we basically took four weeks to talk about T-I-M-E. So if you didn't catch it, the whole month spells out time. But week one was about time. And the idea that time is a zero-sum game, that once you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. So what would happen if we, we, we paid attention to where we spend our time and how we invest it? Then week two was around the idea of intentionality and investing in the next generation. We've got some, I know some of you are empty nesters, some of you are single, some of you don't have kiddos, but we do have a lot of people here in our church that have littles in their home and have middle schoolers and high schoolers in their home. So we talk about what does it look like for a family to essentially invest in the rhythms and talk about 
about how do you live for God in a normal way, not in a creepy or weird way. And so then week three was all about mission. Pastor Chuck was able to interview uh, Jim Hollinsworth from our, our friends over at Path United. And many of you actually went over to the open house the next Thursday night. It was incredible for you to be there. And then last week was all about engagement. What does it look like to live in community? And so what I want to do, and I'm really excited, next week Pastor Chuck is kicking off a new teaching uh, through a little book in the Old Testament called Haggai. I don't know if any of y'all have actually read Haggai, but it's super short and really powerful. And so I'm really excited about that. But today I want to talk about what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? What does it actually mean to follow Jesus? What does that mean when people say, hey, I want to follow Jesus? What does it mean when Wyatt, I love Wyatt's story, uh, to say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to take that next step. Because for me, I grew up in Olive Branch, Mississippi. We were born in, my brother and I were both born in Montgomery, Alabama. And then uh, when I was in fifth grade, we moved to Olive Branch. And, uh, and so I grew up in a certain town. I grew up in a certain context. I grew up in a certain church. My pastor was a great guy, but whenever he preached, he did what I called yelling and spitting and bursting into flames. You know what I'm talking about? And so he wouldn't just talk about, hey, you got to walk with Jesus. He'd say, you got to walk with Jesus, right? You got to get the good and you got to give him glory, but not just glory, glory. You know what I'm talking about? And so there's a little bit of that in me. And, and sometimes Chuck will actually make fun of me for that, but that's in me, right? So uh, there's a little bit, I'm like, well, what does that actually mean to say you've got to be like Jesus and walk with Jesus? And so for me, I was like, does that mean that I have to know 27 verses of the hymn just as I am? right? Is that what that means for me to walk with Jesus? Does it mean that when I go to the restaurant, I have to pray over the meal and I have to pray so loud that everybody else in the restaurant says amen with me? Is that what it means to follow Jesus? Does it mean that when I follow Jesus I, and I buy something on Facebook marketplace that I ask for a church discount? I mean, is that what that, what, it, what does that actually mean? And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to take a couple of little verses just as a springboard there's no way we could talk about this whole thing in one message. I was telling our worship team earlier that this would be an amazing like mini series. So I, there's no way we could go into all of this today, but I wanna take an example from scripture and just hold up what did Jesus talk about when he talked about following Jesus. Here's what it says in Mark chapter three. This is just an example of what happened when Jesus was investing in people, ministering to people, when Jesus was doing his public ministry. Here's what it says in Mark three, starting in verse 13. It says that he, talking about Jesus, Jesus went up on the mountain and he summoned those whom he wanted and they came to him. So that's a big technical way of saying it. he said, hey, come up here where I am. He invited a handful of his followers to be with him in this moment. Verse 14, and it says, and he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. Verse 15, and to have authority to cast out the demons. And he appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. And uh, verse 18, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And so in this, these couple of verses, we see a snapshot of a moment where Jesus has been doing public ministry, Jesus has been teaching, Jesus has been traveling and healing people. And there came a moment that he went up, he sort of separated himself from the crowd and he invited people to follow him up there. And in that moment, he, he established what we know as the disciples, the 12 that became the apostles. But in this moment, he models what he does over and over and over and over again in scripture. 
throughout the Gospels, what's interesting is that the, the word Christian that we use a lot is only used maybe two times in Scripture and not usually in a very positive way. But the word that's used over and over again is the word disciple. The word disciple. Christians use maybe two times. The word disciple is used like 289 times. And so the question is, well, what does that mean and how does that impact us? And so what I want to do today is I just want to give you sort of the three goals of anybody that would call themselves a disciple and tell you what that is, why I think that's so helpful in our day and age, and what might be a next step. So if you're a note taker, I'd love for you to follow along. But the first goal of any disciple, the first goal of anybody that said, hey, I want to follow the teacher, I want to follow the rabbi, is number one, the, the disciple's goal is number one, to be with Jesus. That's the first goal. The first goal of any disciple is to be with Jesus. So the word disciple actually didn't start with Jesus and the Gospels. In fact, for hundreds of years in their culture, there were already disciples. And so let me tell you, let me give you sort of the non-biblical version of discipleship. There's a rabbi who was a teacher, and a teacher had sort of their set list of things that they thought really mattered. So some of you follow different people on social media, and they say, hey, here's the three things, or here's the five things, or here's the ten things. That's, that's sort of what a rabbi would do. A rabbi would take all the, all, all the teachings that were out there and basically say, hey, here are the handful that I highlight in my own journey. These are the handful of things that I found really helpful. And so a, a rabbi was a teacher, and a teacher, a rabbi, would have students, or what they would call disciples. And so the goal of a disciple was that they would hang out with that rabbi. And what was interesting is that most people that wanted to have a teacher, most people that wanted to have a rabbi, they, they, they tried to work their way into good graces with whatever rabbi. And so they'd hear about rabbi so-and-so and they'd say, hey, um, man, I really want to hang out with that person. I want to learn from them. I want to I sit under their teaching. And so what they'd try to do is they'd try to um, earn their way into their presence by showing how smart they are, how, how great they are, all their stuff. And so what would happen is that these people would have the best education, they'd have the best memorization of facts and figures, they would have it all together. And hopefully their hope was that this rabbi would let them follow them. And what Jesus did is Jesus took that same model but he essentially turned it upside down. And instead of looking for the most elite people, instead of looking for the people that had it all together, instead of looking for people that had it all figured out, Jesus went to the people. And I wish we could talk more about uh, how we know this and what the context of this is. But Jesus went to those that were overlooked by everybody else. Jesus went to the people that didn't feel like they had the right education, the right pedigree. And instead of them coming to him saying, I want to follow you, Jesus turned it upside down and said, I want you to follow me which is great news. Jesus says to anybody that feels like, maybe I don't have what it takes. Jesus, that's why we sing songs like Reckless Love. Is It's not by accident that, that we really believe the heartbeat of God is that God sees people that don't have it all figured out. Jesus often got in the most arguments with the people that acted like they had it all together, but secretly didn't on the inside. Jesus was most comfortable around people that, that were just normal people that were open about their struggles. And Jesus said to them, I want you to follow me. And the first goal of anybody that would hang out with their rabbi is they would spend time with them. Why? So that they could become like them. So goal number one is to be with Jesus, to be with them. 
And so Jesus is inviting them. In Mark 3, verse 13, it says they came to him. And so they came up, they would spend time with him. And so in, 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 the, in the first century, what would happen is a, a, a disciple would hang out with their rabbi and their goal was to be with them 24-7, to go with them when, whenever they had meals, to go with them wherever they went and traveled, to, to eat their meals with them, to, to dress the way that they dressed. And their goal was to be around them so much that they begin to take on their, their, their attitudes and their actions. That was the goal. They wanted to be just like their teacher. Dallas Willard, who um, many years ago talked about this idea, and he said this, he said, the first and most basic thing that we can do and must do is to keep God before our minds. And so as we think about our lives today, this is the goal of anybody that says, I want to follow Jesus, is to be with him, to spend time with him. The goal is for us to be around him, to be in his presence. And one of the great challenges for me, and maybe it is for you, is oftentimes we compartmentalize our lives. If we're not careful, we'll treat uh, our spiritual walk in certain time slots. We'll be like, well, it's Sunday, it's 11, so this is my hour or so for me to be with Jesus. And then we go to the other 167 hours of the week and we do our own thing. And really the tension for me and maybe for you is a lot of times we, we have these little buckets of saying, man, I'm gonna give Jesus a little bit of this time and then the rest of the week we do our own thing. And we wonder why am I not experiencing peace? And why am I not experiencing joy? And how come I, I, I'm stressed out and anxious and all the things of the rest of the world? And maybe the reason is because like me, we've compartmentalized our lives and haven't figured out that every single day is meant to be with Jesus. Let me give you a, just a couple of practical examples of this. I think we may even have them on the screen. Here, here's what I'm processing. Maybe, maybe some of this will be helpful for you. Maybe you'll just know that I'm weird and you need to pray for me more. I don't know. Uh, but when you, when you think about this idea of being with Jesus, here's some practical ways. One is to stay quiet a little longer each day. Stay quiet a little longer each day. So I've discovered, maybe this is different for you, but I've discovered that if I feel rushed in the morning, the rest of my day feels out of control. I don't know if you are that way. But if I start out my day feeling like I'm already behind, uh, even if it's not a big deal, even if it's just in my mind I had a goal, and I, I start the day rushed, the rest of the day I'm sort of in this low-grade panic. For, and again, it could be for some dumb reason, and so what I found for me is, man, stay quiet just a little bit longer. So what, what it means for me is I try to wake up just a few minutes earlier and I try not to let my mind race into all the things that are coming at me during the day and just be, be less frantic. Here's a second example that's on the screen is to break away from the hustle. Break away from the hustle. There's been so many books over the last couple of years about hustle and a lot of times, when, it, especially in the business context, hustle is seen as a really good thing. There's a lot of people that talk about their hustle. You get on social media, people talk about their hustle. But one of the things that you see in the life of Jesus is that Jesus offered to people not to hustle more, but to slow down more. And I think sometimes for people that, that say, yeah, I follow Jesus, we buy into what's called the hustle fallacy, where we think, man, if I just hustle longer, harder, faster, if I just spend these next couple years trying to get it done and make more money, then life's going to be happy. And the problem is you never cross a finish line. There's never enough to the hustle fallacy. You're always just trying to do more. And what if we slow down to the pace of Jesus? What if we slow down and we said, instead of trying to cram more in, 
it, right? Instead of saying, man, can I add another night in? Can I add another activity in? Can I add another thing in? That we would say, you know what? I need to slow down a little bit. Here's a third way is to talk to God. We call this prayer, to talk to God. You don't have to have all the these and thous. You don't have to have it all figured out, but just to tell God what's on your heart. The easiest time for me to do this is when I'm driving to work. My commute's a little over 20 minutes. And so uh, sometimes I'm jamming out to a song. Sometimes I'm listening to podcasts. But what I find is most helpful is when I actually turn all that off and just talk out loud to our Heavenly Father. And there's something about the anxiety that, that, that goes down, the peace that goes up. Another way that Christians have done this for thousands of years is to abstain from food for the purpose of focusing on their walk. And so we call this fasting. Uh, A lot of Christians for thousands of years have made it a part of their regular rhythm where two days a week they fast. And the goal of that fasting is every time they feel hungry for them to use that hunger as an indicator. Hey, I need to be in the presence of God. Another example of this is to read the Bible. Uh, We live in a world, again, that's all about hustle and achievement and social media that shows all the highlight reels of everybody else's life. And if you're not careful, you'll look at everybody's highlights and think, man, their life is awesome. Their family's perfect. They're always on vacation. And you're just like, I'm just trying to get my daughter to keep their bow in their hair for more than five minutes, right? I mean, you're, you're trying to get to church without a wrestling match in the back seat. And, but you're looking at everybody else's highlight reel thinking, man, why can't my life be more like theirs? And the truth is that's just fake. And so we need to be in scripture to counteract that. And then the last way that I threw on the screen is for us to rest weekly. Jesus himself practiced what we call the Sabbath. Jesus himself broke away from the pace of his day to spend time with God. And so I just wanna encourage you, it starts with goal number one, for us to be with Jesus, to be with Jesus, to not be hurried, to not just check the box, but to be with them. Haven't you ever been around people that after you've been around them, you can tell there's a positive impact by being around them? I mean, some of you joke that hardly a Sunday I preach goes by that I don't mention Mexican food, right? How many of you like Mexican food? Anybody not afraid to admit that? Anybody else praying that there's gonna be queso in heaven? Anybody not afraid to admit that? (laughs) I used to always order fajitas when I'd go. And I, I mean, fajitas are awesome. I mean, I, I, you know, they come out sizzling. It sounds like a little party going on. It's like all the stuff is just celebrating in the pan, right? I love it, right? But man, I discovered, I didn't realize it on the front end, but I discovered when I have fajitas at lunch of our meeting or something, you smell like what fajitas the rest of the day. And so I don't, I don't know if that's an internal thing here at our office. It's like, hey, you must have met with Bobby today. Why? You smell like fajitas. Awesome. I mean, so you become like, and you take on some of the things that you're around. So number one, goal number one is to be with Jesus. The second goal of any disciple, but specifically as we think about being a disciple of Jesus, not only be with Jesus, but number two, to become like Jesus. To become like Jesus. So Jesus says in verse 13 of Mark 3, that he went up to the mountain, he summoned those to himself. He wanted them, those that he wanted, they came to him. In verse 14, he appointed the 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. And so essentially what happened for these early disciples of Jesus is they spent about three years with Jesus day in and day out. And so for three years, they saw Jesus teach lessons. For three years, they saw Jesus reach out to the hurting. For three years, they saw Jesus um, 
bump up against the religious leaders of his day. For three years, they saw Jesus heal sickness. For three years, they saw Jesus' heart for the lost. And so what happened over those three years is they weren't just being with Jesus, but over time, they became like him. And you see the friction sometimes when you read the Gospels. You see the friction where where the disciples do one thing and Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to do something different. There's this one time where where the disciples were trying to keep the children away from Jesus because I don't know if they're chaotic or what was going on, but they they were purposely trying to keep them away. And Jesus said, no, 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 let the little children do what? Come to me. And so over time, Jesus modeled the life that he wanted them to live. So that after those three, three and a half years, they could embody that. And that's what happens in our lives is that the goal is that we would become like Jesus intentionally. Because here's the truth. All of us are becoming something. All of us are becoming somebody. If you were to fast forward to when you're 80 or 90 you're going to be somebody when you're 80 or 90, right? As long as we live that long, we're going to, we're going to be somebody. And here's, here's the crazy thing for a lot of us is if we're not careful, we'll arrive at who we're becoming unintentionally. Let me give you an example of this. Um, we've got a little graphic we'll put on the screen here that's just the simple little triangle that talks about what I would call unintentional change. And so There's a lot we could talk about change. Again, this could be a whole teaching by itself, but there's three sort of components on the outside of the triangle. It starts with the center, the environment we live in. So you know this, the environment you live in, right? Just the fact that we live in Georgia and the fact that we're in the South and the fact that we've got sweet tea unlimited is amazing, amen? And so uh, we become like the environment we're around. And so uh, when we move to Mississippi, we noticed that it was a different environment. There was a lot more uh, cowboy boots and Wrangler jeans when we moved from Alabama to Mississippi, right? And over time, you become like your environment. You start saying, maybe I should have some Wranglers as well, right? That's a silly example, but you get what I'm saying. We become like our environment. Then outside of this triangle is when we live in that environment, there's stories we believe, there's habits that we live into, and there's relationships in our lives. So without us even trying unintentionally, we're being shaped by these things. Here's what I mean by that. We're shaped by the stories we believe. Let me give you an example. If you believe that we're just on this earth by accident, if you believe that all of this just happened and that there's no creator God, that storyline that you believe is going to flesh its way out in how you live. If you don't believe that God was involved at all in creation, if you, if you don't believe there is a God and you believe that we just happen to be here and somehow we're able to live and breathe and all these things, if you believe that story... And then if you believe the story that marriage is just some social thing that we created and it wasn't in the heart of God, or if you start thinking that things like gender aren't something that God was part of, you start thinking, right, whatever story you believe ends up shaping the life that you live. And so, the, right, so there's the stories we believe, there's the habits that we have. And so we are whatever we repeatedly do, whatever our daily habits are. Uh, we can know a lot in our heads, but if our habits never reflect that, then we're never going to apply that. So the stories we believe, the habits that we live out, and the relationships, we become like the people we hang out with. We become like the people we hang out with. And so all of this happens unintentionally. Here's a second version of that same graphic that gives a more intentional way. 
is in the middle is that when you give your life to Christ, God's presence comes to live inside of us. And so instead of our environment shaping us, hopefully the fruits of the Spirit begin to flesh their way out in our life. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and begins to, to produce change. It doesn't happen overnight. Or it's not quick. It's not instant. But the Holy Spirit begins to do his work inside of us. And then on the outside, we, instead of uh, uh, allowing the stories we believe to influence us, we put ourselves under teaching. What does the Bible say? That's why small groups are so important. That's why spending time in the Bible is so important, that we would have God's perspective, not just the world's perspective. And then the second one, instead of habits, I just put the word practice. Um, practice meaning that none of us are perfect. None of us woke up and we're like, man, I, I've got it all together. But practice is as best as I can every single day, I'm going to try to live out the heartbeat of Jesus. I'm going to try to live out. In fact, like in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mountain is basically Jesus' teaching on what does it look like to, to live that out. And the third piece there is community. Uh, community, instead of just friendship, but community is the sense of there's a group of people that you're doing life with. And community is great for two reasons. One is it exposes weak areas in our life. Uh, if you're in community with people, there's going to be moments that you bump up against one another and it's going to show something that's deep down inside of you. And so we need that, right? We need people that help us to see where change is still being worked out in our life. And the second thing is they offer incredible encouragement. And so this idea is that, man, our goal is number one, to be with Jesus. The goal is number two, that over time we would become like Jesus. And honestly, this takes a lot of time. If we're not dead, then God's not done with us. This is a lifelong journey. And then goal number three is to do what Jesus did. Goal number three is to do what Jesus did. And so here's what happens in Mark 3. It says in verse 14, so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach, verse 15, and to have authority to cast out demons. Now, this is just one example, but over and over and over and over again throughout the Gospels, Jesus did what a lot of us do in the workplace. Jesus did for a little while. He said, basically, Jesus said, here's what's going to happen. As my follower, I'm going to do the ministry, and I want you to watch. Right? I'm going to do the work. You watch. Over time, after they followed him for a little while, Jesus said, I'm going to do it, and I want you to help. I'm going to do it. I want you to help. Then over time, he said, I want you to do it, and I'm going to help. I want you to take the lead. I'm going to help. He does this like in Matthew 10 when he sends them out. And then ultimately in Matthew 28, when Jesus leaves this earth and heads back to heaven, he commissions them and says, now you go and do it. That's the progression progression for anybody in the workplace. If you're like my brother is a electrical contractor and there's, he was showing me a picture this week of one of the jobs he did so like 40 hours of wiring to take this mess and make it into something that was pretty remarkable. And, and the journey along the way is that for some people that have never done that before is they get hired on at a place with somebody like my brother that's really good at what he does and says, Hey, I'm going to learn from you. I'm going to watch. I'm going to figure out what you do. And then over time, the goal is for them to try it and for him to be able to give them feedback. Then the goal is over time that that person would know it so well that they can get sent out to do it in places that he could never go. And that's the goal of a believer is that over time, that number one, I would be with Jesus, that I would have a relationship with him. Over time, I would become like him, that his, his attitudes and actions, his heartbeat would, would have an impact on me. And the goal is over time 
that we would do what he did. Here's, here's a little snapshot of just some things that Jesus did that I think you and I can do. The first one is to spread the good news. We live in a world that just has this negative news cycle all the time, that we can spread the good news of Jesus. The second one there is that we can help other people grow. Anybody we're in relationship with, we can help them grow. We can help them take a next step that anybody can grow in their faith. Jesus, again, called people that were the overlooked of his day and said, I want you to follow me. We can bring healing to the hurt. So anytime you see brokenness in the world, whether it's Uvalde or it's in your local school, whether it's in your neighborhood or, or somebody you bump into along the way, that you can help bring healing to them. God can use them to do that. Another one is that Jesus modeled that there is an enemy that we need to fight. There's a spiritual war going around us, and so we can fight the enemy. Another one is that we can relate to people that are far from God. Jesus spent some time with his disciples, but he spent a lot of time around the dinner table with people that were far from him. Jesus' strategy wasn't to get them to the synagogue. Jesus' strategy was to hang out with them and to have meals with them, and I think that's pretty amazing. Um, uh, we can live on mission. We can say every single day, I want to live out the mission of Jesus. We can be peacemaking in a, in a world that is just so irate all the time. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. We can speak the truth in love. We can pray. We can stand against corruption. Now, when you look at a list like this, it might be tempting to say, well, there's no way I could do that. So I'm done. I can't wait for Pastor Chuck to teach next week. Get rid of this Bobby guy. But my hope is, instead of seeing a list like that and being overwhelmed, that you would say, what is something I could do this week? You know, when I was growing up, uh, we had this bracelet that everybody in our youth group wore called WWJD. Do you remember those? What would Jesus do? And I love the idea behind it. I think I wore it for a while. I love the idea behind it. What would Jesus do? But the truth is, Jesus' life looks so different than our lives. Jesus was a single man uh, who didn't own a house. So basically, he couch surfed his whole adult life. Uh, he didn't have kids, right? So I'm, I'm just saying Jesus' life was radically different than our lives. And so a version of the question that I heard recently that I thought was super helpful, not just what would Jesus do, but maybe just to put a little tweak on that question and say, what would Jesus do if he were me? So in other words, what I would encourage you to do is don't look at a list like this as overwhelming. Say, man, I can't do it. Just ask the question in whatever stage of life you're in. If you've got littles at home, say, hey, what would Jesus do if he had littles at home? Chances are he's not following the same routine he did as a single adult male. What would Jesus do if he was a school teacher? What would Jesus do if he was an electrical contractor? What would Jesus do if he was a financial planner? What would Jesus do if he was a nurse or a doctor? What would Jesus do if he worked in a preschool? What would Jesus do if he was a, a police officer? What would Jesus do if he was serving in public office? Whatever your, does that make sense to take whatever your context you're living in and say, what would Jesus do if he was doing my job with my family and my walk of life and then say, hey, I want to do that? That's the goal. That's the goal. We've got a, some friends here at the church that are doctors and, and uh, in a similar way that, that, that other professions have 
apprentice programs, doctors have that. They, they have residency. And the goal of somebody that goes through residency isn't for them to stop at residency and then watch every medical show on TV and say, hey, I, I, I've got that figured out. I'm awesome at Grey's Anatomy trivia on trivia night. The goal of anybody that's done residency is to go and do that. Or sometimes people that go into plumbing instead of going to a trade school for that. They'll, they'll apprentice under somebody and say, hey, I want to learn the skills. I want to learn how to plumb a house. I want to learn how to do that. So that in three or four or five years, they can go and do that. Same with electricians. The goal is to, hey, I need to learn the skills. I need to learn the ins and outs so that I can then go. Or, or where I used to get my hair cut, Sarah would have people come apprentice under her so that they could then go and start their own business. Maybe a better word today isn't just to call ourselves disciple. Maybe it's to say we're apprentices. And the goal is for us to be with our teacher, to become like our teacher, and ultimately do what he did. There's one line that's been so helpful as I've been thinking about it this week. There's a book years ago that has this, the, the best title I know. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. The goal isn't perfection. The goal is the long obedience in the same direction. And so today, instead of feeling overwhelmed by any of this, to say, man, I'm just going to get up and I'm going to do the best I can today. Tomorrow, I've got a brand new start. I'm going to try the best I can. The next day, I'm going to do the best I can and ask the question, what would Jesus do if he were living my life today? Can I pray for you? Would you bow your heads for a moment and close your eyes? Uh, all across this room and watching online, man, the, the, the thing I know is true is that we're all in different stages and places of life. All of us come from so many different backgrounds. For us, it was Mississippi. For you, it's someplace else. Uh, all of us have sort of our picture. What does it mean to know Jesus? And what does it mean to follow him? Is knowledge part of it? Absolutely. Is knowledge enough? Nope. Jesus said, not that we'd stop at knowledge, but that we would go and do. And so the going and doing is, man, I want to spend time with him. That as I spend time with him, I'll become more like him. And as I become more like him, I'll do what he did. Is it easy? No. Does it happen quickly? Usually not. I mean, just ask people that have known me my whole life. Um, I got a lot of work to do. I got a lot of growing to do. But is it worth it? Absolutely. And so where do you start with that? Well, today, as we pray, if you don't know Jesus, maybe the very first thing that you do is say, dear Jesus, would you help me to know you? Would you help me to know you? Would you help me to place my hope, my trust in you in a similar way that Wyatt's story was that he'd done that? Jesus, would you, would you come and live in me? I accept that free gift that you give. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I accept it. And if you know Christ personally, maybe part of that prayer would be, Jesus, would you show me what you would do if you were me. If you're a mom with kids, if you're a dad that's trying to balance it all, if, if you were a business owner, if you were a, a retiree, if you're a high schooler trying to think about what's next, if you're a middle schooler just trying to figure out how to make it, if you're an elementary student just saying, Jesus, help me to love people, Maybe just ask him, Jesus, if you were in my age or stage, what would you do?
And then maybe one last part of the prayer would be this. Dear Jesus, would you help me to show me one thing that I could do this week? For me, if there's one thing I need to do this week, it's to have some unhurried time in the morning before I rush out. Maybe for you, it's something different. Maybe it's you want to read a little scripture before you go to bed. Maybe it's um, to have an intentional conversation with somebody you care about. Maybe it's something different for you, and that's cool. But what is something that Jesus would have you do this week? Heavenly Father, thank you that you invited us to follow you and that by following you that we'd get to be with you and that we'd get to become like you and our prayer is that over time that as we become people of love that live out the fruit of your spirit and we live out the ethic of the kingdom that we would in turn do the same things that you did that we'd be able to bring hope to the hopeless that we'd be able to bring mercy and compassion to the broken areas of our world. That we'd learn to forgive when people have hurt us. That we'd learn to live a life of generosity, of service to other people. That God, we wouldn't just know a lot of cool things about you, but we would live them out. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand together before we head out this morning. Pastor Zach and the team's going to lead us. And man, I want to encourage you, um, if today's message resonated with you, if it sort of helped put some pieces together, I would encourage you to ask yourself, what's that next thing? What's that next thing you could do? What's that thing that God wants you to do? Also, I want to encourage you after this song is over, uh, take a moment, just meet somebody around you. We have a wonderful church. We're small enough that you get to know people. We're big enough that if you don't try, you can just sort of slide in and slide out. I would encourage you maybe to say hello to somebody that you don't know their name and just say, it's great to be with you, great to meet you. And hey, if you wanna practice uh, getting good Mexican food after church, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe that would be a cool thing to do as well. But let's sing this out before we go. And my prayer is that we would be able to follow Jesus, walk with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. Let's sing this out before we head out.
Well, it's been such a great day to be together, to be able to come together and to see uh, most of our church family together in one room. It's such a gift, such a treat. Man, if you don't know this already, you're surrounded by amazing people that are in the same journey. None of us have arrived, none of us are perfect. I think one of the reasons why today really just in my heart felt like we needed to talk about this idea of what does it mean to be apprentice and learn is because I think for a lot of, a lot of time, I placed so much emphasis on do I know the right things that I had a lot of facts, but there hadn't been a lot of translation of the facts into my heart. And so, man, those two shouldn't be opposed to each other. We should know the right things so that we can live the right things. And we, as we live the right things, then we know the right things. And it's this, this pattern. So my prayer is for you, if you've ever felt frustrated, if you've ever wondered, why does it take so long to grow up spiritually? Or if you've ever wondered, is there more to this than just attending an hour or so a week? Hopefully today gives you context. Beyond just what we do for an hour a week is, are we being with Jesus? Are we becoming like Jesus? And ultimately, are we doing what he did? That's our prayer is that we, as a faith family, would be able to journey together and live out the life of Jesus. God bless you guys. We love you. Hope you have an incredible rest of your weekend. And if you're off tomorrow, enjoy the long weekend. We love you. Can't wait to see you back next week, 9, 30, 11. Pastor Chuck, it's gonna be incredible. See you guys.